you take your Bibles or devices and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, it is actually the longest book in the Old Testament. I know that surprised you. You thought it was Psalm, uh, Psalms, but it's actually Jeremiah by word count. And we're looking at Jeremiah. We're going to be looking at the 11th chapter in just a few moments at verse 18. So something uh, that I've realized is that God never promised Jeremiah the people were going to like him. That people were going to be enthralled with what he has to say. That he would find great reward in people listening to him and doing what he said. God said to him, and I'm going to get to eleven eighteen in just a moment. God said to him in Jeremiah seven twenty seven, So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. And you shall call to them, but they will not answer you. Now, as someone who speaks the word of God on a regular basis, I get to just say to you, that doesn't sound like very much fun. It doesn't sound appealing to me at all. I want you to be my spokesperson, but don't worry. They're going to completely ignore everything you have to say. What a mission state. I wouldn't put that on my website, that's for sure. I would not be on my business card. You know, I'm God's spokesman, but nobody listens to me. That seems so ineffective. And yet that's what, that's what Jeremiah is called to do. Jeremiah didn't have much of a choice. We, we heard about that a few weeks ago because God said to him, even before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. And even before you were born, I consecrated. I, I called you, I set you apart, and I appointed you, which literally means I gave you as a prophet to the nations. And he didn't consult with Jeremiah first. Now, I guess Jeremiah could have rebelled against the call of God. People do. But I'm grateful that Jeremiah didn't, but it didn't mean it was going to be easy. In Jeremiah 1.10, God spoke even further about what Jeremiah's purpose would be. He said, see, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overflow, overthrow, and to build up and to plant. Now, if you're a type A personality, that kind of sounds like fun, doesn't it? It it sounds thrilling, exhilarating, but this call on Jeremiah's life caused him all kinds of trouble. It wasn't fun. He was beaten and put into stocks by a fellow priest. He was put in prison by a king who didn't like his sermons. He had a scroll that he was writing that later became the book of Lamentations, which we have in our Bible. And someone took that book, that scroll, and ripped it apart and threw it in the fire. He was called a liar. He was thrown into a cistern and left to die. He was kidnapped and hauled into Egypt against his will. Life just wasn't easy for Jeremiah. Type A personality or not. Didn't matter what Enneagram he was. It was hard. It reminds me of what Abraham Lincoln famously said when someone asked him about being tarred and feathered and rode out of town. Abraham Lincoln said, if it weren't for the honor of it all, I'd just as soon it happened to somebody else. I bet Jeremiah would have probably felt the same way. You know, Lord, if it wasn't for the honor of it all, 
just as soon somebody else got this job. We all carry things that are difficult, don't we? Things that are hard to bear. And we also carry things that are hard for others to empathize with because they're not suffering the way you are. They want to empathize, but sometimes they just can't. And hard things happen to people all the time. They cause us anxiety. We lose sleep over it. They rob us of peace. They leave us feeling lonely and inadequate. They make us miserable. And maybe they even make us feel hopeless, like giving up. Maybe some of you sitting here today have felt that way. Maybe some of you feel that way right now. The pressure of life is hard. And that is the biggest understatement that I could speak. Life is hard. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. I wish he had said, it will be a piece of cake. In this life, if you follow me, it's gonna all be good. But what he said was, trouble's on the way. Life brings trouble. But it all comes down to whether or not you are walking with Jesus in the midst of the trouble. That's the difference. Because when you follow Jesus, you're gonna have trouble. And when you don't follow Jesus, you're gonna have trouble. The only thing that makes a difference is whether Jesus is with you in it or not. Jesus said, don't lose heart, be of good cheer because I've overcome that trouble. The world of trouble that hits you right, left, and up and down, I've overcome it. And he said, when you're with me, I never leave nor forsake you. I'm always with you in the midst of it. One of the things Jeremiah suffered in addition to all those things I, I listed assassination attempts. I mean, people literally tried to kill him. There was one such plot that we are gonna read about here in Jeremiah 11 and verse 18. So now that you've turned and waited patiently for me, let's, let's look at it. The Lord made it known to me and I knew, and then you showed me their deeds. But I was like a gentle lamb led to slaughter. I did not know it was against me they devised schemes, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But, O oh Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. After God made him aware, he was in the dark, I don't know if you caught that. He was unaware and God made known to him this plot to assassinate him. And Jeremiah is troubled by it. He, he seems like he realizes after God's made it known to him how serious it is. He said, I'm like a lamb being led to slaughter. Which is interesting that he uses that language. Because another prophet about a hundred years earlier used that kind of language. But he was describing the one who would come, the Messiah, the suffering servant, we know to be Jesus. Isaiah said that. 
like a lamb led to slaughter. I'm sure Jeremiah knew that. He, he was familiar with those words. And I, I think it's interesting that he identifies with this one Isaiah has spoken of. And I don't think it's all that bad that Jeremiah identifies with the one who was yet to come, Jesus. But I do want to say this to you. Jeremiah, though he may have felt like a lamb being led to slaughter, Jesus was the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was led to slaughter and never opened his mouth. Now that doesn't make us feel like we can't pour out our heart to God. And it wasn't wrong for Jeremiah to say, I feel like a gentle lamb being led to slaughter. It just simply means that the perfect man the perfect lamb of God, the God became flesh. He never opened his mouth so that we could. God responds to Jeremiah, verse 21. Let's continue reading. Therefore says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hand. Therefore says, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them the young men shall die by the sword and their sons and their daughters shall die by famine and none of them shall be left for I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth the year of their punishment. Now, we learn some new information about these would-be assassins. We learn that they're from Anathoth. And, and if that sounds familiar to you, it should. Because you can go all the way back to Jeremiah 1.1 and you realize that's where Jeremiah is from. The people out to kill him are from his own hometown. It's his tribe, his village, even his family that are out to kill him. Puts a whole new spin on things, doesn't it? It's one thing for a bunch of strangers, people who don't know you to be out to kill you. But your own family, your own kinfolk are out to get you like that? Wow. Jeremiah goes on to raise a complaint against the wicked because of this very stark reality. Flip to next chapter. By the way, there weren't chapter and verses when this was being written, so it doesn't mean that we've changed scenes or the curtain has had to drop. It just means we walk right into the next chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 12, Righteous are you, this is Jeremiah speaking, O Lord, when I complain to you, Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of the slaughter. Now, it's interesting that he pulls out the sheep language again. Wow, he must have this stuck in his head, this whole lamb, sheep being led to slaughter stuff. First, he's like, oh, I'm the gentle little lamb being led to slaughter. You slaughter them, God. Take them out. Give them what they wanted to do to me. And maybe not like that, but... But maybe, maybe, you get vengeance on my behalf. Hey, at least he's not taking vengeance into his own hands. But he is wanting something to happen to them. 
We all like it when people get what's coming to them, don't we? There's a few snickers. Most of us got real stiff right there. We do, don't we? You know my least favorite thing is on the interstate when somebody, we're all in the exit lane and it's 15 miles an hour and he knew three miles back that this was going to be a slow process. But no, he comes barreling down on the left-hand side and he wants to sneak in there, right? I hate that. I'm just like a gentle lamb being led to slaughter. (laughs) Slaughter him, God! And then I see that cop pull him over, and I'm like, yes! Got what he deserved. (sighs) You're laughing because you know you do it too. I read about a group of Swiss researchers who were studying the brains of people who were wronged during a game they were playing. And they gave the wronged participant in each of these instances a chance to punish the other person. And as they considered that, they recorded their brain waves and they observed a rush of neural activity going on in those brains. And they were, it was happening in the part of the brain that we process rewards. <laughs> They were thinking through these things and boom, 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 man, those neurotransmitters, they were just going to town. But here's something interesting the researchers discovered. After a few moments, they found that instead of quenching hostility, revenge actually prolonged the unpleasantness of the original offense. And and one blogger that was writing about this, Vanessa Van Edwards, said, instead of delivering justice, revenge often created a cycle of retaliation. My wife and I were talking about this, and she said, isn't it wonderful when the way our brains work, we discover that they're in keeping with the way God made things? Not that he made us to retaliate, but he understands the destruction of such. And that's why the Apostle Paul said to those in the Roman church, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. He doesn't have the issues you do when he avenges what happens. And he says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay, says our God. Jeremiah raises a familiar argument and complaint to God. And that is, why do the wicked prosper? Why does evil prosper? Why do the treacherous thrive? And why don't you do something about it? Why do you let them get away with it, God? You saw him cut me off. Why does he get away with it? And I paid the price to stay in this line for three minutes. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. He feels like Jeremiah's at the end of his rope just a little, but he's not the only one who's been there. You remember Job? Wow, there's a guy for you. You know the story. God says to Satan in a most interesting setup, God is in a council in heaven and it says that his heavenly sons are coming to him and that Satan gets to show up. I don't understand that. Don't ask me to explain all this. It's just what the Bible says. And Satan shows up and God sees him and says, hey, Have you considered my servant Job? 
Satan didn't bring it up. God did. Have you considered my servant Job, God said to Satan. There's none like him on earth. He's blameless and upright. He, he fears God and he turns away from evil. Talk about putting a target right on Job's back. You think God ever does that to you? He did to Job. I know. Spicy here. But Satan contends with God about Job. He says, uh, I'm sure with fear and trepidation, he is God. Satan says, well, yeah, I know he's upright, but come on, let's be honest. You're just protecting him from calamity. You've built a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him. So sure he loves you. Sure he's upright and blameless. He's never had anything go wrong. And so in an amazing dialogue that, again, I can't explain, God seems to allow Satan to go after Job, taking out his servants, his wealth, his children, even his own health eventually. And, and Job is amazing in all of this because he maintains his integrity, but with the help of some so-called friends. Oh, there's a whole message right there. With some help of some so-called friends, Job, he actually does bring up what he sees as God's arbitrary treatment of him. And he does raise a complaint in all of this. He's really righteous, mostly maintaining, not cursing God and dying like his wife said he ought to. He is trying to stay, but he's still like, you don't treat me like I want you to. And then God shows up. The Bible says he shows up in a whirlwind. And you can imagine if God comes to you in a whirlwind, things are about to blow. And you can read it in Job 38 for th three chapters there. Uh, God goes at Job and it will make you breathless. I've read it and I've thought to myself, what if I was in Job's shoes and God is saying all this to me and I would just want to shrivel down and not say a word. Job finally gets told by the Lord in Job 42, shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Whew. And who argues with God? Let him answer it. <laughs> well, Job has been weighed and found wanting. And he has very little to say. And that's what he says. Job 43, when Job answered the Lord, he said, Behold, I am, a, I am of small account. <laughs> and what shall I answer you? I lay my hands on my mouth. I shut my mouth. Here's something of real interest, both with Job and Jeremiah. God doesn't answer their questions. In fact, he asks his own questions in response to their questions. And after God's finished with them, what they originally questioned doesn't seem all that important. Shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? The psalmist Asaph also had a similar experience, but he had greater revelation. In Psalm 73, Asaph, who was a psalm writer, wrote several of the psalms along with David. He wrote this, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. 
And they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. For 10 more verses, Asaph goes on building a case against the wicked and why they're prospering. And it's almost as if you'd want to indict God about this. And then finally in verse 16, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then, then I discerned their end. Asaph asked the same question Job and Jeremiah asked, but he found wisdom. Where did he find it? In the sanctuary of God. That's where all of us can find God's perspective, not the answers we may want, not, a, not an indictment of God for being the creator that he is, but simply a trust in him, in his presence. We don't have to understand. We just have to abide with the one who does. Look how Asaph concludes verse, in verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My, my flesh and my heart, they may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. But you, or you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works." Job and Jeremiah needed to do a little more Asaph thinking. And so do we. Instead of indicting God, maybe we need to go to his presence and let him calm our spirits from the wearisome work that we've been doing trying to figure out why the wicked prosper. How did God answer Jeremiah? I close with these thoughts. He said to Jeremiah, back to Jeremiah 12, verse 5, if you have raced with men on foot, Jeremiah, remember, you remember what Jeremiah asked him, right? Why are they prospering? Why don't you lead them to slaughter? What's going on here? Why is this happening? And this is what God says to Jeremiah. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? He's basically saying to Jeremiah, if you're having trouble now, just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. You're, you've grown weary racing against men when it's safe. But I want you to race horses in the thickets of the Jordan. You think it's testing. I'm telling you it's training. You see it as a limitation and a hindrance. I'm saying it's an opportunity to grow and expand and have greater capacity. Gird your loins, Jeremiah. Here we go. You might think that God's desire for Jeremiah to compete with horses is a stretch. I mean, is that even possible? We're watching the Olympics right now. I've seen some really fast Olympic runners on the stage in Tokyo. But I don't think any of them are going to join the Kentucky Derby next time. That'd be silly. But of course, God is speaking of a spiritual and mental rigor that so few Christians and believers and followers of him are willing to have. We'd rather be fed, spoon-fed the word of God 
than to feast on the meat that he has provided for us. We'd rather have someone hold our hand and be ushered into the things of God and and cared for and coddled rather than stand up and gird our loins and be the men and women of God that he's called us to be. We'd rather let someone else do it. You go up and deal with it. I'll sit back here and judge you and figure out if you're doing it right or not. We've got to gird up and be men and women of God. We've got to run with horses. And God's calling each of us to do that, me included. He's speaking of a capacity, of of an expansion, of a willingness to go beyond what seems possible, but with God, all things are possible. Wouldn't it be thrilling to run with horses in a spiritual sense? To have your faith expanded, to see people healed, to disciple people, to see people bring into Jesus, to live in such a way that they come asking you, why are you so different? Why is your family so different? What's going on? I need what you have. Are you wearied by running against men? What about the horses? I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and even greater works than I will you do. He wants us to grow our capacity and increase our stamina. He wants us to get lost in him and not lost in a world of whataboutisms. He wants us to not be so worried about the evil that's around us, but to be concerned about proclaiming the righteousness we have in him. He wants us to not be those that attack and hurt others, but rather are ministers of reconciliation, taking that message everywhere we go. And he wants us to declare like David did in Psalm 37, fret not yourself against, excuse me, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I love that. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Are you growing weary with your race against men when God has called you to compete with horses? Are you fretting over evil when God has called you to befriend faithfulness? Are you busy building a case against the wicked when God wants you to rest your case and find his perspective in his presence? Renew your mind. Let us renew our mind and gird our loins and stand up as the men and women God has called us to be. For he has truly made us to run with horses. Amen.